Hey guys, my name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. I am also the director of Trees of Hope, which is a nonprofit in South Florida that exists to train, educate, and equip parents on how to protect the children in their life from being sexually abused. We also offer survivor-led healing support groups for victims of sexual abuse. We want to welcome you because this is our podcast. We hope it encourages you. We hope it inspires you. And we hope you leave here knowing that hope is real, your story matters, and that you are more than just a hashtag. So let's get to our next episode. Hey guys, welcome back to episode four of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. My name is Nicole Escobar and I'm your host and I'm here with a very special guest. Holly, how do you say your last name? Cara Tenuto, just like it's spelled. <laughs> um, that is not <laughs> how I'm seeing it, but okay, is this an Italian last yes, name? Yes, by marriage. Oh, nice. What was your other last name? Are you ready? Hughes. <laughs> I know I used to um, practice spelling his name like even while we were dating because I knew we were gonna get married and I would because I was like oh I gotta learn how to spell this yeah I would do that too when I converted to being an Escobar I was an Oliva so I basically had to learn how to be like Italian I was Italian to Spanish Uh and so every time people meet me they're like hola como I'm like no no no. (laughs) do I look Spanish to you no do people start speaking Italian to you no (laughs) they don't to me either Um, Okay, and the reason why you're here, Holly, is not only because you're amazing and I'm so excited to hear from you and all the cool things you're doing, but you are the Sexual Assault Outreach Coordinator at the Palm Beach County Victim Services. Did I say that whole name right? Yes. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your old job where I met you? and how you got to this new job. Sure, sure. So um, I originally am from New Jersey, and when I was living up there, um, I have my master's degree in counseling. So I was a therapist for about 10 years in New Jersey, working with adolescents, mainly high-risk adolescents. I worked at a high school, worked in a group home, and um, first the weather sucked in New Jersey, and we, we just decided we wanted to change. We wanted to do something different. So my husband took a job in Florida. I moved down here and started looking for jobs, and I didn't necessarily want to go back to therapy. Like it just didn't feel like a calling for me so this job posting came up for a sexual assault advocate at the nancy j cotterman center i went in i interviewed and i started and i realized very quickly that i do well in crisis situations and i really had this calling to kind of work with survivors of sexual violence survivors of child abuse and with them in those moments especially those moments like right after someone's been assaulted um, and with children i would interview children that had experienced childhood sexual abuse um, and then as I was working there, um, human trafficking started to kind of come up more often and they knew they wanted to move in that direction. And so I started their human trafficking program and I was the human trafficking coordinator there for two years. Again, loved it. Um, It was intense work. I ran a lot of um, prevention programs. When I, I met you, I had a grant from the Department of Juvenile Justice to do human trafficking prevention. And I remember you did this presentation for our staff on your curriculum and I was blown away because I had been looking for curriculums for so long. We know that the root of human trafficking is often sexual abuse. And so in order to prevent human trafficking, we have to prevent sexual abuse, right? So, and nothing was really hitting well with adolescents. And the aesthetic of your program and the wording, I was like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. I was blown away. Um, And then I 
decided to take a job in Palm Beach County and moving up there. The whole family's moving up there. And the job is sexual assault outreach. And I run this community action network team. And I said, I need to have you guys come up and speak about your program in Palm Beach County. Because again, that prevention for adolescents and young people just is not in existence in a lot of places. And I think um, if we start with prevention, we're going to solve a lot of problems. Man, so true. And I love that you said, because I've been literally screaming off a box this whole sexual abuse is the root Mm -hmm. a lot of times of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we'll be at events and people will walk over and their first thing to me will be, oh, do you guys help victims who've been human trafficked? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, but it's so different. I mean, would you agree that sexual abuse and human trafficking are very different in the way that you would counsel and help someone? Yes. Okay, great. I'm happy to hear that because I've been saying that for so long. And then um, why is it that people see those two as one thing? So for instance, when someone comes to um, our program and they've been sexually abused and human trafficked, we typically want to help them first with the sexual abuse that they experienced at a young age Mm -hmm. and then we try to help them understand that what they had experienced while they were being trafficked was also a form of sexual abuse would you agree that that is two separate things and that they both need healing yes and how would you counsel someone through that so i think that the part of the reason that that overlap happens that people think it's one and the same is that people only think of human trafficking victims as children and they don't necessarily understand that many people that are trafficked the majority of people are adults right like we know that a lot of sex workers are also victims of human trafficking um so yeah and the root of the trauma goes back to childhood and when you talk to survivors and you talk about their beliefs about themselves it all started from someone violating them at a young age Um, I think some of the research has shown, too, that another thing is witnessing domestic violence. Witnessing domestic violence, being a victim of sexual abuse, it's all related to power, control, not having control of your own body. And then often um, part of trauma is seeking out those same patterns of behavior. And so if they haven't healed from that sexual abuse, they're going to go seek out that same pattern of behavior and are more vulnerable to people that will take advantage of that and then later traffic them. Yeah, so true. And then what about a family that comes and says, um, I can't believe this happened to me. I live in a nice neighborhood because we hear that often, too, um, where someone will go. They they weren't poor. Mm-hmm. They weren't in a low income area. Human trafficking does not care right. where you are. Right. Neither does sexual abuse. Again, it goes back to power and control, yeah. right? Yeah. And really just checking your vulnerabilities. Looking for love. Right. Right? Like if there was a victimization at an early age and you don't feel loved anymore, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is like what I was trained in. And like one of the core beliefs that a lot of people suffer from is I'm unlovable. So if you feel unlovable, think about the relationships that you seek out for the rest of your life. You're looking for people to confirm that you're unlovable. And so when people mistreat you, right, they give you love and they take it away. You're like, oh, see, I'm right. This is normal for me. And we see that pattern over and over again with human trafficking. That, And it's the same with domestic violence, that back and forth of, well, yeah, they beat me up, but then they also pay my rent and they love me. And so it's going to be okay. And they don't understand that those are two separate things. Just because they're paying your rent and, and showing you these maybe superficial things doesn't mean they actually love you. Wow. So good. 
Okay, so um, not to toot my own horn, but I'm just going to do it really quick. Uh, so you saw our prevention material mm-hmm. and you liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be, would you utilize that at where you work? And would, would you say that, um, but if I added a whole human trafficking piece inside there, would you think it would be better utilized? Yeah, I mean, you have to think about the legislation that's out there too, is that like this has to be done in schools. They need programs that adolescents are going to understand and get and like make sense to them. And I think too, we don't need to put more things on our teachers. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we putting this on them, this burden of having to, they already have to teach our kids school. Mm-hmm. Why are they the ones that have to do the human trafficking too? I think really looking at other organizations, like after school programs and youth groups and boys and girls club and parents and, and families being the ones to educate our kids too. That's so smart. I love that. Okay. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now tell me a little bit more about the victim services in Palm Beach where you work currently. So victim services in Palm Beach, we are the certified rape crisis center. So very similar to Nancy J. Cotterman and Broward, we provide free comprehensive services to victims of sexual violence. So our advocates are 24 seven, they're mobile. Um, If someone's you know, sexually assaulted in Jupiter, sexually assaulted in Boca, our advocates will respond 24-7. And if the um, victim of the sexual assault wants to have evidence collection or rape kit done, our advocates will dispatch the sexual assault nurse examiner to do that. And then our advocates stay with them throughout the entire process through the court process, if they want to get an injunction. And for adults, one thing that we always make clear is that they don't have to report the crime. So if an adult was sexually assaulted and they don't necessarily want to report because maybe it was a partner or a boss or they don't know what they want to do, they can have the evidence collected and Palm Beach actually stores the evidence for four years giving them the time to really process out what happened and then the great thing about victim services is that they serve victims of all violent crimes domestic violence dating violence stalking they work with victims families of homicide cases um, DUI fatalities uh, human trafficking so really any type of crime that needs an advocate victim services will be there Um, they are like I said available 24 7 and will respond out at any time wow what would you say is you worked at Nancy J Cotterman and you're now working here Mm -hmm. is there a higher percentage that comes to victim services in Palm Beach as opposed to Nancy J? I think, yes. Well, there are two different programs. Like the rape crisis program is similar. Um, Nancy J. Cotterman does the child protection team, which gets a lot of cases because that's with DCF. Child protection team in Palm Beach is a separate entity. We get some of the cases, but not all. Um, but then they get a lot more walk-ins in Palm Beach County because they're in all of the courthouses. So we have an office in the Boca or the Delray Courthouse, the West Palm Courthouse, the North County Courthouse, and then the Belle Glade Courthouse. So domestic violence victims will often go in for injunctions and they refer them right to victim services. So they get a lot of walk-ins that way. Hmm. Why the courthouse, though? Why not a police department? Because there's so many jurisdictions in Palm Beach County. I think there's about 22. 22, 23. So the courthouses are a more centralized location. Um, That's what our our goal is to be easily accessed for the whole county. Okay, so we know that sexual abuse is associated with shame and guilt. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of that after. When you guys tell people that, hey, you don't have to report this, is there a reason and a motivation behind that? behind us not want having making them report yeah yeah i think that when you talk to um someone who's just been sexually assaulted some of the things that they say is no one's going to believe me um this is going to mess up my whole life i don't want my family to know right so all of these other factors involved in the sexual assault they need time to process that um some research has shown that people need three sleeps to process trauma 
So if we're forcing them to make a decision right then and there about whether or not they want to contact law enforcement, that's not fair to them. There's also, you know, if it is domestic violence, they might have other reasons. There might be children in the home that they have to go home to. This is the person that provides for them. So they need time to plan and plan an escape out of that situation. And so when we store the evidence, we give them that ability to, to take that time. Process. Okay. Now, um, what is the likelihood that somebody, or what is the percentage or statistic, if you have it off the top of your head, that someone will come into to the victim services, report it, mm-hmm. and then follow 100% through? So I don't have a statistic on that. I think we know that 85% of people who are victim of sexual violence don't report. That's a huge number. We also know that for every 100 sexual assaults, only one perpetrator is going to spend any time in jail. That's crazy. I think when I before I worked in this field and you would hear about cases on the news and you think, oh, someone's sexually assaulted and someone goes to jail for that. It doesn't happen. Um, there's so many reasons why people are not coming forward and then they're not believed or taken seriously and the cases just aren't able to go anywhere. And prosecutors really have to be selective in the cases that they take and they have to take cases that they think they're going to win. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the other day me and a friend were talking and they're like super worried about the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you need to be more worried about sexual abuse victims mm. because the, the, they'll go years without saying anything. Yeah. And I mean, at least for myself, I know that sexual abuse affects my most intimate relationships Mm -hmm. and I'm bleeding on people because I hadn't walked through healing. Mm. Do you see a lot of that where people had been sexually abused as a child, haven't dealt with it in years, and then they come to you guys saying, okay, I need to deal with this? All the time. And with... um Cotterman or Palm Beach County Victim Services, it doesn't matter when your abuse or assault took place, you can always come in for free counseling. So when there's cases that are in the news, I remember specifically when um, the Supreme Court Justice was being, Kavanaugh was being confirmed, our 24-7 helpline rang nonstop with women calling, telling their own stories of high school being sexually assaulted and never telling anyone. And they a lot of them just wanted to vent and tell, but some of them did discuss like, I've had, you know, so many divorces and so many issues in my life and I've never addressed the root of it. And the root is this violation when I was younger. It's literally what I hear all the time. And it breaks my heart because like I had told you once before, is that the um, the age range where people are coming forward is like 55 mm-hmm. here. Can you imagine carrying? Yeah. It's, it's crazy to me. I'm, I dealt with it at 30 and it affected everything. Minus I was an excellent worker. I, um, was, you know, succeeded at almost everything I touched as in work, sports, anything like that. But when it came to like relationships, I was a mess. Yeah. And it's so sad. Um, and that's why, again, we say get into a support group because you need to know you're not alone Mm -hmm. and you need to deal with it. It is hard work, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the services you guys provide. So our advocates are available 24-7. We have, um, they'll go to court. We can do relocation. We can go to their um, interviews. So for sexual assault advocates, we have privilege. So if we're ever called to testify in court, we can report that per Florida statute, we have privilege as a sexual assault counselor. No other crime has that privilege, just sexual assault counselors and the victims. So it really allows um, victims to come and say the things that maybe 
that they don't want to tell the police right away. Uh, maybe they were involved with someone else sexually after the assault. That happens a lot, you know, because if they were sexually assaulted one day and they haven't processed it yet and then they have a relationship with their partner and they have sex with their partner, now they have to figure that out. That's complicated, right? And these things happen all the time. And so we allow them that space to talk about all those complicated issues that we don't necessarily have to report to anyone as long as they're an adult. Wow, so that's really cool. So if let's say I have a problem um, where I was raped and then, I, yeah, I keep going on with my life. Yeah. So you guys can be a place where I can talk to about that mm-hmm. and like, like, can you walk me through what that would look like? Yeah. So after someone's sexually assaulted, how long do you think, and you might know this because I know you've talked to other people before, how long do you, they have to come in and have the evidence collected off their body? How many hours do you think? I thought it was 48 hours. So the, the new best practice is 120 hours. That's five days, right? Wow. So often people take three days to call. They are, maybe they use drugs or alcohol and they don't really remember 100% what happened. And we get the calls, they're like, oh, my body just feels different. Like I, I woke up without my underwear on, like something happened and I don't know what, but it's been three days and I took a shower. We're like, that's fine. If you want to have evidence collected, we can still do it. So we give them that option. Some people will say they don't want to, they like, no, I don't want to do this at all. Um, we'll allow them to come in and talk to one of our advocates. If they want to report to law enforcement and haven't done that yet, we'll go with them to the police station and, and sit with them during that time. If they want the evidence collected, if they're already at the ER, we can meet them there. But we also have Butterfly House. Butterfly House is um, a confidential location. It's next to Wellington Hospital, but it's quiet it's one small door off the hospital you don't have to sit in the er it is awful for someone who's just been violated to sit in the er and wait to be triaged then to get admitted to have their exam done so if they've got no other medical issues we can take them to butterfly house and get them in and get them out get the exam done get the evidence collected we have um, sexual assault nurse examiners who do that part of it law enforcement will actually interview them there too if they're more comfortable with that so they don't have to go back to the police station and then we have a shower there because most people the thing that they want to do is shower get this off of me they just want to get clean again they want clean underwear so we have clean underwear and that's all provided by the not just me foundation um, julie weil is one of our survivors and that's her foundation she provides all the comfort care items for there and she also was the one who really pushed with the county to get us butterfly house like this safe private location in Palm Beach County to do these exams. And then our advocates will follow up with that survivor, you know, in the following days, um, talk to them about their options. They're always available for them to call. We have our own therapists that are able to handle the cases as well. I'm so impressed by how much the city is involved. Yeah. I mean, I never, I'm in this world all the time. And Honestly, we we never know how much the city is involved. Yeah. Why do you think it's such an important thing for the county and the city to be involved in this way? Yeah, it, it's it's involved. Their involvement's important for a lot of reasons. I think it keeps it up and running. You know, we, we never have to worry about, are we going to have enough funding? We get some funding from like Florida Council Against Sexual Violence, which is like state funding. The county funds us and it's something that they are 
committed to. The commissioners, they're going to, in um, next week, actually, March 10th, they're going to proclaim April Sexual Assault Awareness Month. They all wear their We Believe shirts. They wear denim on denim day. Like, they understand that this is important. I think that from a governmental standpoint, when you look at the cost of sexual violence, it is significant. So if we can reduce the impact that sexual violence has on our community, we can cut down on that long-term cost. So it's hard. Sometimes it sucks to think of it that way in terms of cost of sexual violence, but it's a fact. Like sometimes we have to prove that these things cost money to in order to keep the funding. And yes, sexual assault survivors, if they don't get the hope and healing that they need, they're going to have medical bills. They're going to have therapy bills. They might end up um, on the, like living off of the county at some point. So the county does understand the importance of these services. Which I get it. I mean, when we look at the statistics of PTSD, like what somebody is dealing with after and like the fact that they most of the time can be um, drug addicts or mm-hmm. cho- have yes. poor life cho- choices after being sexually assaulted. Um, I understand that because yeah. it becomes a debt to society mm-hmm. if you don't deal with what's happened to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say a lot of my friends who had been sexually abused had horrible drug addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are dead now. Mm-hmm. They've committed suicide and or uh, overdosed. Mm-hmm. And so I get it. It's yeah. like, but how do you get someone to deal with the sexual abuse that they experienced as opposed to the addiction that they have. Right. Because we see the addiction, right? We see that. We're like, oh, this is a drug addiction. That's the problem. I think we could look at a lot of society issues and see it as a child abuse, sexual abuse issue. We know that girls drop out of school. And one of the reasons they drop out of school is sexual harassment. That to me is one of the things that like when I think about my bucket list, like I want to work on that problem. You know, because if our girls aren't educated, they become mothers younger, right? And if they're not educated and they become mothers, what's the chances that their children are also going to be victimized in some way? So I think by really focusing on that early prevention and making sure we are providing a safe environment for our young people is critical. If we look at the jail system, if we were to go into, you know, one of the local jails and do a survey of how many of the inmates, male or female, were sexually violated at some point in their life, I'm sure it would be a high percentage. Mm -hmm. I just got invited, which I was so honored, to come into the jail, Broward County Jail, um, and speak to the inmates who are incarcerated for years. Um, They're going to give me a security pass and everything. So our program, they're trying to basically allow me to go in and just talk about sexual abuse, explain it a little more, and share my story, and just tell what the services that Trees of Hope provides. Because I think they're hoping that they can jump online or when they come out Mm -hmm. that they can walk through one of our programs. I'm like, this is so awesome. I'd love to do this. So if I were to give you a magic wand right now, Mm -hmm. and I said money's not a problem, um, resources are not a problem, and you have all the giftings in the world, as in talent, what would you do to solve that problem that you just told me about? So girls not going to school, dropping out of school. I'm a big believer in gender-based schooling. So I'm a big believer in like pay school for girls, especially for our high-risk young people. If you think about your own high school experience, what were some of the traumatic times that you experienced? They involve relationships, you know, male-female relationships, and then the 
impact of that on your other your, your female relationships. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. I think that gender-based schooling could be important in a lot more areas. Like we don't have it in some areas of the county where it could be very critical. Um, and then doing the prevention in the schools and giving, you know, I think some schools are doing a really great job with mental health and allowing students to speak about their mental health. But we also need to allow students to speak about sexual abuse. The problem becomes that if you're under 18 and you report sexual abuse, it's automatically reported. And I I understand why, and I get that 100%, but we're missing a lot of cases because of that. There's a lot of young people who are not willing to talk about their sexual abuse because they know we have to call it into the hotline or to the police and report it to the authorities. Yeah, and when it comes down to, will they believe me, and will Mm -hmm. they do anything? Right, right. And I can't tell you how many times we have people who are 17 when something happens yes. and they come to our program at like 18 or 19 and they say, well, we reported it and nothing happened. Right. I have, I have teachers who have called us and they're like, nothing is done about yes. this. What's my next move? Yes. And to be honest, I don't know what to tell them other than I point them to you guys or mm-hmm. Nancy J. Cotterman. Yeah. Cause I don't know. What because to do. part of the issue is with, um, they're calling teachers are instructed to call the abuse hotline. Right. But if you have a 17 year old and they're sexually assaulted by a, mm, we'll say in the age range, 21 year old, and they say, this is not consensual. It was sexual assault. If you call the abuse hotline, they're going to say, that's not a case for us because it's not a guardian or a caregiver abuse. And they screen it out, basically, and they don't do anything with it. They're supposed to forward it on to law enforcement. But what I will always tell teachers is call law enforcement. Um, Sometimes I had a situation, I was doing groups at um, a school and a situation came up and I actually called a detective myself and kind of gave the tip before calling the hotline because I knew it was going to blow up and the detective was able to like go in right away and make sure that the, the youth was safe and, and provide the services. But if you don't know me and you don't know to call the detectives, yeah, I think there's a lot of cases that are just falling through the cracks right now because of that non-caregiver assault with teenagers, especially 16 and 17 year olds, because they can legally consent to sex with people in certain age range. Okay. So, okay. Another conundrum that we kind of face often is we partner with other organizations a lot here in uh, Broward County specifically um, that go to a high school that's very close and they have the ability to go in and we can come in sometimes as like a speaker or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, not as a consistent person. So the leader of this organization has asked me before, when we're in our small group time, it ends up coming up where someone's been sexually abused. I point them to you and I'm like, okay, well, I always say, well, first you need to report it. Yes. But when they report it and nothing happens, what then do yeah. we do? Can you encourage me or guide me on what to do? So if they've gone and they've reported it and nothing has happened, so the, the reporting is done, then it's talking to the, the youth about what do they want to do. If they really want this person to be prosecuted and are willing to keep going forward with it, I would you know call an advocate from either Cotterman or Palm Beach County Victim Services, wherever the assault took place, and we will walk that walk with them and make sure that it's reported to the, the right authorities. I think that often the cases don't go anywhere. Um, sometimes if the parents get involved and they don't want it going anywhere, if there's no victim, there's no crime. 
So if law enforcement doesn't think that the victim is going to move forward with it, um, we see cases not go anywhere. Um, sadly, there was like a huge issue with another county where they were marking those cases as like successful and they're kind of getting in trouble for it because now the government's going back and saying that's not success. Just because you didn't have a victim that would cooperate or signed off that they didn't want to prosecute, that's not a successful case. Mm-hmm. I hear you. That's so true. Yeah. I love that you said you have to have a victim in order to have a crime. I mean, how many times does someone come forward and then back down? Yes. And say, I... For many reasons. And you have to respect that, too. As an advocate, like, if someone comes to me and is like, this is going to ruin my life, I have to respect that and let them know that this is your choice now. You can always change your mind. Like, if five years from now, you're like, you know what? I want to go back and I want to talk to law enforcement again because I'm a different person. Now, looking back, like, that really affected me. Go for it. And the statute of limitations... Is, is about prosecuting a case. So some people are afraid to report a crime because the statute of limitations ran out. You can always report a crime. They might not be able to prosecute it because the statute of limitations ran out, but you can report it. And then that person's name is in the system and say that person has been violating other people. Hmm. There's some more evidence there. Um, also, you had said earlier that it can take up to five days. You can allow five days to yes. go. What if they weren't sexually abused by a body, um, a penis or anything like that? Let's say it was a hand or something or even an object. Right. What happens then? So um, the time limit is different with like digital penetration or things like that. But the thing that you have to remember for children, for someone under the age of 18, we can still do the exam and look for evidence in terms of um, injuries. So most childhood sexual abuse is a delayed report. You're going to get like a couple months or a couple years later, but we'll still do an exam and they have what's called a coposcope, which is a, a high quality camera that will look for injuries on the child's body part. Hmm. And okay, so that would go, I mean, not to get too graphic here, but that would be inserted inside. It's not, a no, child? it's external. No, we would never insert something okay. in a child like that. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was like. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And it ends up spotting things that wouldn't be the naked Visu eye wouldn't exactly. see. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. And it's so interesting, you know, our um, sexual assault nurse examiners, when I worked with them Broward, they do the children cases and they talk about like injuries on certain parts of the body can show different things. You know, like there's some normal injuries that we get from just being active kids. And then there's injuries that are tra injuries that are trauma related. Hmm. I feel like I don't know much about this and like <laughs> I need to, because as you're talking, I'm like, man, this is so good. Um, I'm in this field, so may, this may not be somebody that everyone wants to jump on and right. get to know, but how would you get more involved with learning about how to spot certain things, how to be more aware, symptoms, when when it's not so clear? Right, cut? right. Um, there's so many trainings that are out there that are really good. Um, and Violence Against Women International is amazing. They do um, yearly like summits and trainings. Um, Florida Council Against Sexual Violence. I love National Sexual Violence Resource Center. Rain, like all the big names usually have like a summit um, and they're they're great to go to to get and you know sit in on like I'm a constant learner like I just absorb information I love to learn about it I love to have data I think that data is so important because some people don't believe that this is real but then I can give them data and they're like oh okay now I understand what you're saying so like I'll sit in on a nurse's training because I want to know and like when I would be with in those exams after the exam I would ask the nurses like so you did this like what were you 
you looking for? And they would explain it to me so that I can go back to that child and talk to them about what happened. Because one of the things that we always want to tell kids is you're okay. You know, this terrible thing happened to me. Your body is okay. Because I think that some kids have this fear that when they get older, people are going to be able to know just by looking at their body that they were sexually abused. And that's very, like, there's very rare cases where there's severe injuries that leave lifelong marks. Most times, our bodies are made to have sex, right? And so they heal quickly. And that's why with adult cases, we often don't see any injuries because our bodies heal quickly. And mm. I think that's something hard for law enforcement. Like they'll come and be like, oh, so did you see anything? And we're like, no, we didn't see anything. Like, first of all, you can't see DNA. Right. And second of all, most people aren't don't have injuries from a sexual assault. But the scars are inside. Yes. They're the unseen scars. Yes. And that's yes. what we do at Trees of Hope is we deal with those scars that not everyone can see, the ones that are on your heart and on your soul and on your emotions. Um, okay, so what is your role there and why is your role so important? So the advocates are the backbone of our agency. They are the people that are actually out there doing the work. One of the issues that we have, like you said, is I don't even know about these services. Like if you don't know about these services, how are you going to use them? So our services are only valuable if people know they exist. So the fact that Palm Beach has this outreach position is incredible because that's my entire job is just letting people know we're here. Our services are free. They're 24-7. If you have a question, like you're wanting to know something, you can call us at any time and get that information. Um, I think that we don't do enough to allow let survivors know that they're not alone. You said that. You said like most people, when they come to the groups, they realize I'm not alone. There's so much shame and guilt involved with sexual abuse. Most people have no idea that in their daily lives, they're interacting with people that are victims. And I always tell people, once you start telling your story, so many more people come out and start telling your story. Every time I do a presentation, at least like one person will walk up to me and say, I never dealt with my own stuff, but I was sexually abused or I was sexually assaulted. And that's the important part of my job is letting people know services exist, you're not alone, and you can get those services at any time. So why are you personally so passionate about this? Because it just oozes off you. And I thought it was, I thought like meeting you for the first time, I knew that I liked you, but um, people, when they meet me, they're like, it's infectious. It's, that, it's like a great compliment. Yeah. But I also feel like maybe it's like a radar when I'm walking around, <laughs> like I'm a bit, I was a survivor, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So what, what, why are you so passionate? You know, I, I often say my kids, like I eat, breathe, sleep, love for my children. Like I, my life changed when I became a mom and people, when I give presentations, that's their number one question. Like, how do I protect my kids? Great question. That's why you're here today. Great. Next question should be, how do I protect everyone's kids? This is such an issue. Like we talked about that societal issues that exist in our world, the root of them is sexual abuse and, and sexual violence. I see myself in 10 years, you know, once my kids are off to college, doing even more, going to those high-risk areas. Like I would love to go to war-torn areas where sexual violence is just an everyday occurrence because there is no hope for those people until they find someone who tells them, this is a crime, this is not something that you did, and I want to be that person for people in the world that know that they can come to me and I'm a safe person. Okay, if I was hiring right now, would you come work here? You don't have to move to Palm Beach. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can I work from home? Yes. 
You can work from home. You can do everything you love to do. I'll send you to war zones if you want me to. Give me 10 years. I have to get my kids through school. It's like, I always tell them, like, you're going to go to college and mommy's going to go to my next job, like out there in the world somewhere. And my husband's not prepared, but he'll get over it. Okay, well, let me just go ahead and prophesy over you because um, you're exactly what I need. And so if you are out there and you're listening and you have all the gifts and talents (laughs) that she has in addition to passion and creativity and all that stuff, please come apply at Trees of Hope because I need you. But the reality is, is that honestly, it's you are amazing and what you're doing is so awesome. And I hate when people like praise me. I hate it, but I also love it. Um, But please know that this, this world needs you and don't give up the fight, like keep going. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. And, you know, my passion comes from what I've experienced. And when I become a parent, I, I'm sure it's going to be an increased passion. Yeah. So I'm so thankful for the hard work that you're doing here. Um, and now I'd love to hear more about this Start by Believing campaign. Did you start that yourself? No. So this is a national campaign. Okay. So End Violence Against Women International started the Start by Believing campaign. One of the things, the trends that they were seeing is this rate of non-disclosure people not reporting and the reason is because they feel not believed they feel shamed they feel blamed for what happened to them so they really tried to come up with a quick slogan to remind people obviously to start by believing one of the things that they always point to is like if you're in um you know someone you love dies in a car crash you don't say to them like oh well why were they on that road why were they in that car why were you you don't ask those questions so why do we do that to sexual abuse and sexual assault survivors all the time um if you watch the unbelievable netflix series that is part of start by believing like that's one of their kind of things that has come off of start by believing it's based on a true story a young person was not believed the perpetrator went on to sexually assault multiple other people and the law enforcement totally charged her with filing a false report and if they had believed her in the beginning it could have stopped that perpetrator from assaulting many other people so start by believing was started in 2011 and then palm beach county started in 2016 and palm beach county has worked with the state attorney's office all 22 police chiefs and the sheriff signed off on the Start by Believing pledge. They are allowing us to come in and train their law enforcement. The state attorney identifies specific law enforcement agencies that they want us to train. And we go in there and we talk about why starting by believing is so important. Um, there's so many positive outcomes of Start by Believing. They did some billboards in one state and they saw their numbers jump dramatically by just letting people know like, hey, we believe you. Hmm. Simple message. Yeah. I was just talking about this with a couple of girls who came through our program and they all had shared that one of their biggest reasons for not coming forward was of course not being believed and like we almost like if you would have been believed how different would your life would be it was almost like like a vision board you know of like and you know my parents when I came forward when I was 35 which was just or sorry 37 but uh 36 I told my parents what had happened and they acted like they believed me but they asked dumb questions after which was like well if that were true why didn't you tell us that kind of stuff it's it's just naivety honestly but do you I mean one of the things that we teach here the most in all of our prevention workshops and all of our healing groups is you have to believe someone when they're telling you a story so one of the things that I remind people often is that reality is constructed right your reality and 
I can't, when I, when I talk to survivors, like I can't tell them that their reality is wrong. We've had people, you know, come in with some stories that you're like, there's no way. But if that's what their reality is, like, who am I to judge that reality for them? You know, and it's, I'm not an investigator. It's not my job to investigate. So I get to have that peace of mind to just, and we're not asking them to, and with law enforcement, they say this all the time. How do I just start by believing? Like, that's just not fair. No, that's exactly it. You just start by believing. We're not asking you to buy the whole thing. We're asking you to do a thorough investigation. Okay. Take them for their word. Okay. They tell you what their story is. Okay. Follow the case. If they're lying, it's going to come out. You're going to do your investigation. It's going to come out. We also know the rate of lying is like less than 5%. So the the chances that it's a false report are so slim. Mm. And I think we just take, we too often just write people off because of maybe mental health or maybe um, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit with the character of that person, that perpetrator. No, I get it now. Now yeah. when you break it down like that, I get it. It's, it's, we're not asking you to buy into the complete story. Yes. Well, all we're asking is that your worldview or your mindset when they're talking yes. to you is start by believing yes. and going. Because recently I had a, a lady walk up to me and she shared a story. And as she was sharing, I had to really watch my face because it was so out there that I was like, woo. But I, I kind of had that mindset, which was, how do I know right. if she's telling the truth? I wasn't there. You hated when that happened to you, Nicole. Yes. So why don't you just believe? And I ha- and it was really, it's what this all boils down to is humility. Mm-hmm. Me as the person who's listening, knowing my place, which yeah. is, I just am called to listen yeah. and be a supportive person for that person. I'm not there to investigate the whole case. Yeah. I'm not their judge and jury. I'm not any of those things. So I just need to start by believing, which is a very clever. And I, I think too, the other thing to think about is like the process of going through some of those legal situations is so horrific for your life. Your family's torn apart. Your entire life is scrutinized. Who would want to do that? Or sign up for that. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I always kind of go back to. And, you know, Kobe Bryant's case has kind of been in the news a lot lately. And it's one of those cases where you're like, oh, his character is so good. He seems like such a good person. Like, it doesn't fit with what he was accused of. He actually, in his um, civil case or somewhere along the line, basically kind of said the same thing. Like, what I thought was happening was was not what she experienced. And he acknowledged that her reality of the situation was different than his. And I thought that was like such a bold thing for him to say like, oh yeah, like I thought one thing was happening and she did not. And that can make it like, he he wasn't admitting to anything, but he was saying like, we saw it two different ways and that's okay. When somebody does say something like that, Mm -hmm. does that get them off the hook? Because the reality is, is that their reality and their reality were not together. Mm. So the minute someone's realities are not together, that's not consensual, right? Yes. It's a bigger conversation, but yeah. And we have to educate everyone, girls, boys, whoever, that consent needs to be clear. It needs to be ongoing. If you have any doubts in your mind that this is not something that this person is 100% sober, and willing to do do not do it that is consent consent is clear and sober yeah i mean we talk about it all the time at our prevention workshop saying you know we know what consent is we do we we act like we don't but when a green light is green we know we can go through when it's red we know right when um we sign off on our credit card and at the store we know what we're consenting to Mm -hmm. but why does it get blurred when we talk about sex Mm -hmm. and it's 
it's just it's one of those things where it's it's like really a passion of mine is to really explain that more because I do think people in general and I don't mean to say only guys but guys do struggle with Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. um some girls Anissa who was on our podcast before you know she had shared that many of her relationships and the where she was raped was she was laying there um out of it totally Mm -hmm. out of it but she like had seen him doing what he was doing with her raping her and it was like an outer body of experience kind of thing and it's like I mean, she had to have a mental health counselor literally do MDR with her and say, that's clearly rape. But she even struggled with what was consent and what was not. Like, we had kissed, you know, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I love that you said it's an ongoing thing. Yes, yes. Because just because it's consensual today doesn't mean it's consensual tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. We don't, we'll go on a tangent here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, so tell me now a little bit about what does it look like to start believing? I think you already shared that. Yeah, and I think you said like um, your parents said they believe you, but they didn't show it. And that's the huge part that we need to be clear. Like believing someone means taking a step back and listening and allowing them to disclose on their timeline, allowing them to tell you whatever they need to tell you, not giving unwanted advice. All of that is part of believing. That's a hard one. How do you not give unwanted advice? So I think the easiest thing to say is like, do you want advice? Do you want my, my, and if they say no, then you stop. We all want to do it. We all want to be like, oh, well, you should call my friend. He's a lawyer. No, let them decide what they want to do. Like, do you want to talk about your options? Like, what do you think your options are? And let them kind of talk about like, well, should I call a lawyer? Yeah, you know, I do know a lawyer. So then you're able to kind of give them their options without strictly just telling them what to do yeah I just started getting a little bit better with that I I have to work on that much more because I'm a problem solver that's like what I do so every time someone tells me something I'm like well I can connect you with someone and I love that you said that because it really does give it gives the control back to that person and that's what they need in that moment yeah control back Okay, definitely have to work on that. We all do. We all do. <laughs> um, well, no, just like the other day uh, when I was doing a prevention workshop with the young intern that I have here. Love her, Joanne. She's great. Uh, but I I was giving the example of how guys um, in the, during the grooming process, not guys, but people, can do things like non-sexual but touch that's non wanted and it can start by like rubbing your hair and um i i go is it okay if i touch your arm or touch your hair and she's like yeah and as we were walking out i was thinking i've never done that before Mm. i've always just give the example and i thought you know in that moment it's powerful for everyone to see that i had asked because her body is her own and i do want her to know that even though i'm her boss and we're in a prevention workshop she could have said no right (laughs) if she wasn't feeling it in that moment and i would have to respect that it's just these silly little steps that we can mm-hmm. take to like really make someone feel empowered. Yeah. Okay, so what do, who needs to hear the message of start by believing? So I think the initial idea was like formal supports, law enforcement, hospitals, um, advocates to do this when they're presented with a, a survivor or a victim of sexual violence. But what we understand is that most people report to informal supports, family members, friends. So that's where they that initial disclosure, if they don't feel believed or listened to, they shut down. We know it. We see it happen all the time. So really those informal supports will make or break someone's disclosure. If they don't feel believed or supported when they make that initial disclosure, 
it can really make them decide to never tell anyone ever again. Mm. Okay. So if someone wants to get more information on the Start By Believing campaign, where can they go? So startbybelieving.org and April 1st is Start By Believing Day. So that's like a national day. Um, if you feel that you have a story that you want to share, so if you feel like you want to talk about the time you were believed or time that you weren't believed, you can go on their website and submit it and they're posting them all throughout the month. Um, on their social media and if you want to just share it on your own social media you can tag palm beach county victim services we'll share it we're just doing a lot to like let people know how important it is to start by believing okay one last question this is um kind of off the cuff but i'd love to know this because it's something that we struggle with here so the me too movement came out Mm -hmm. and a lot of it's converted into something a little different than Mm -hmm. i think it originally started and it's hard because uh, we at Trees of Hope, we do think women have a voice. We want to empower women, but we're not necessarily jumping on the feminist um, movement. And we understand it has its place. And I'm not trying to like say, you know, calm down ladies or anything, but it's just not something we want 100% be a part of. Do you notice that with sexual abuse victims, there's this like almost tagging their fem- feminism point of view and their... Um, like stance on how they feel about men in general with their sexual abuse as opposed to do you get my question so here's what i can tell you and this is my concern is that we've had this rash of like me too um it's on us time's up right so you would think that we see this huge increase in reporting sexual violence so I'm going to mess this up, but I think it's um, the federal government basically does a crime statistic survey every year. They survey a certain number of people every year, ask them about their victimization. What kind of victimizations did you experience and did you report it? The crazy thing that I saw that the numbers have gone down and down significantly of people reporting. I think that what we see in the media of survivors and victims being torn apart makes people go, I don't want a part of that. I'm going to keep my story right here on my in my heart because I don't want to be that person who's being completely torn down by the media. Um, yeah, I, I do have concerns that the, it didn't go the way that people might have wanted it to go. And I don't know what the long-term impacts of that are going to be. But yeah, that was alarming to me to see those statistics, those numbers go down. I don't think we've seen the drop in Palm Beach County. I think that Palm Beach County has a wonderful sexual assault response team. And we've our numbers have been pretty stable. But on a national level, yeah, there's been some drops. in, And the only crime that continues to rise, we've seen violent crime drop. But the only violent crime that continues to rise is sexual battery. We have a survivor action team that has been in place, I think, for four or five years now. We take their lead. Like, they're kind of our people that are letting us know if our services are working, if there's things that we can do differently. They want to go out and raise awareness about our services. We need to make sure, like, that's why I I give, I love your program because it's survivor run. We need survivors to be leading what is necessary. And all survivors, not just survivors that are in the media and have you know, someone who's a celebrity living in LA has a very different life than someone who's on cis trunk in Fort Lauderdale and was just sexually assaulted. Their experience is going to be very, very different. And we need to make sure we value everyone's experience, not just select people. So true. Yeah. And that's something that I, I, that's what drew me to Trees of Hope is that although we are healing is 
faith-based in many ways and we do them at churches we do not by any means want only christians walking through those doors we want everyone we want anyone no matter where you are in life no matter what you're experiencing no matter what you feel towards the church or whatever that's just a safe location Mm. we just want you to come yeah because we think that healing is for everyone and that there is hope on the other side and you just got to be willing to do the work yes absolutely it's a personal investment and it's hard and the day that i signed up for our healing support group was the day that i said i'm on a lifelong journey of healing it's not just going to stop here with this 12-week class it is going to be an ongoing thing and i invest in myself through self-care i go to classes i go to different things um i'm constantly reading books on how to heal continuously because i've shared this before on this podcast and with you too is that life circumstances will bring up different things yeah and like i never thought that i was gonna deal i had dealt with my sexual abuse when i was like around 30 33 or whatever because I did a couple of years of it and then I got married and then all of a sudden I was like wow I didn't realize I struggled with intimacy mm-hmm. and like things like that now I'm on the path of trying to get pregnant and all of a sudden triggers that I never thought I had are coming back because I'm in these vulnerable situations where I'm doing lots of pap smears and things like that yeah and it's like oh my gosh I didn't know I had a problem so I'm having to revisit them constantly and you can take 10 steps forward but and then take 20 back but just keep walking yeah that's what I try to tell people all the time well Holly this was so great I really really loved having you on here I appreciate you so much letting me come on talk about our services and start by believing Um, I am so eternally grateful for your program because I think prevention and support groups we need more support groups we need to have that feeling of community that's why our survivor action team like they always say you know their awareness campaigns are great but they have the best experiences when they're doing things together yeah like their little community that they have correct um and if you know anyone needs to contact victim services can i give the number please okay so our 24-hour number is 561-833-7273 and that's the 24-hour access number to palm beach county victim services perfect last question do you guys offer support groups so we have therapy groups we don't have support groups um so that's why i think our partnership is so important because some people need the therapy groups to go through that with with the mental health therapist in the room but i think the community aspect of the support groups and having that someone understands my experience because they've lived it and walked it is is vital oh yeah um what what's a therapy group so therapy groups usually have like a curriculum, probably similar to a support group. They're just led by our mental health counselors. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think, I mean, I've done both, but mm-hmm. didn't know they had two different names. Um, the support group led by a survivor who has walked in my shoes yes. and maybe not my exact story, but gets the point, you know, is so life-changing. Yes. It's so helpful. And the the side of reading your story out loud and then writing your perpetrator a letter I mean, it changed my life. Mm. I I remember going in and I I may have shared this before. I don't know. But um, where I come in and I was like, I'm not going to cry when I share my perpetrator letter. We don't want you to send it. We just want to read it out loud. And I was like, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to be so strong because I am so strong. And who was boohooing the whole time? (laughs) Me. I was like a blabbering baby. And but it felt so therapeutic when I was done. Yeah. And then when I looked up and everyone was boohooing from me, from my story, it really gave me 
the knowledge and the wisdom knowing that this actually mattered and that other people care yeah and they want to be there for me yeah i think that's part of i want to say it's narrative therapy where they really say the importance of your story like making it your story like taking that power back and allowing it to become something that you own and you control that narrative and you're able to express it in a way that feels comfortable to you yeah that's a great name for it (laughs) Well, again, this was so awesome. And if someone wants to go to your website because they don't feel like calling, what is the website? So I recommend our social media. On Facebook, it's Palm Beach County Victim Services. And on Instagram, it's at PBC Victim Services. Okay, perfect. Okay, well, thank you again for being here. It was such an honor, honestly. So that wraps up this episode. We will see you next time for episode five. We love you guys. And we want to remind you that hope is real. See you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.